Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to Kill Me Now with Judy Gold. I'm your host, Judy Gold. And uh, this week is part two of my conversation with Liz Winstead, who is a voice and a force for women's reproductive rights which, as you know, are threatened by a bunch of conservative idiots who have nothing better to do than take rights away from people who've never had equal rights in the first place. So there's my bitter opening. Um, If you are on the Cape this week, I am in Provincetown for Women's Week. Speaking of women, so come see the show at the Post Office Cabaret. It's going to be great. I really hope you enjoy part two of my conversation. It's always fun to talk to someone you've known for so long. And I think you'll, um, I think you'll, you'll relax. You'll sit back. Or if you're at the gym or whatever you're doing, I think you'll enjoy this. I know you'll enjoy part two of my conversation with the one and only Liz Tuesdays Winstead. So we have the uh, psychology paper. We have the hating the media from the um, being in the musical and getting a bad review simply because of this one person didn't get the part. And then we have the fact that you get pregnant. Yes. The first time you have sex because you're avoiding a double sin and you go to the hockey player's after you realize I'm pregnant because yes. you don't get your period yes. the first yes. month, you're like, oh, all right. And then the second month, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, maybe yeah. I'm just active. Maybe God's right. just saying I'm not going to, you know, I was just always justifying like this isn't how it works. And quite frankly, I don't think I ever learned how it works. Right. I mean, I think we saw one movie when I was in like eighth oh, grade. Oh, please, about a girl, I know. Yeah. Right? And, the, and the boys didn't even have to watch it. What about the smoking pot movies? Like you're, they, remember they would do like these drug movies about if you smoke pot and then it was like people like lying in a gutter having oh, like yeah. visions of, oh, it was ridiculous. Um, yeah, reefer madness. And so you uh, go to a clinic, you see a clinic and you I go to a, like, I think it's a clinic. Clinic, right. And you go and you're like, oh, great. And it's. It's fake. It's run by fake Christian. So for those of you that don't know, um, for years, there has been this scam going by it used to be just funded by religious organizations, mostly Catholics. And now your tax dollars pay for them and they are fake anti-abortion centers and they look 
seemingly from their ads on the bu- back then on the bus or on the internet or on SEO now in Google. Uh, if you Google looking, I'm looking for an abortion. It's the first thing that pops up are these fake things. And they, you've seen the signs. It's like pregnant, need help, free testing, choices, options, right? And you're like, oh, I'll go there. So I saw an ad for one on a bus and I went and it was like- The number it, six bus, by the way. The number six bus. And it looks like, I was slightly concerned, but not really. Cause it was kind of, it was a house, it looked like a house. And then I walked up and I walked in and, and then I, at first I felt kind of homey. Cause there was like Jesus stuff everywhere, yeah. you know, um, like that, the hands with the, that are cut off at the wrist, you know, that are like, we're trying yeah. to help you, but we aren't gonna. Um, and so I was sitting there waiting and I filled out a form and they told me to go like pee in a cup and leave the cup in the back of the toilet. And so I did, you know, in a bathroom that had the footprints poem always because again, oh, got Prince Palm. Um, and so I'm sitting there waiting and then I kind of looked around the waiting room and it did, I didn't really see a lot of medical stuff around, you know, there wasn't an eye chart or there wasn't like, you know, the, like an the thing was like yeah. one of those creepy beating hearts that had the thorns around it. Oh yeah. I will never forget it. Hanging. You could plug it in and little blood droplets. Oh would, God. And it would throb. So that was like the closest thing to an anatomy thing. So right. then this woman comes out of some mystery door, God knows where, wearing a lab coat. And so I think she's a doctor, right? Like, like the people at Kiehl's, the people what? at Kiehl's wear a lab coat. Yeah, too. they sure do. They sure and, do. Uh, and I'm like, oh, they're, yeah, I'm <clears> like, oh, you're a skin doctor. Okay, go ahead. Yes. So <laughs> she's carrying this massive book and she's like, so we just got your results and it's positive. And I was like, yeah, hey, think you need a positive for me. Because right. I'm dumb and 16. And then she's like, well, let's talk about your options. And I'm like, yeah, options. Options are good. I really don't want to have this baby. So that's good. So I, I'm saying this to myself. So she's like, well, you can have the baby and keep it. Or you can have the baby and give it up for adoption. And I was like, that's just two. That's just two. Like options yeah. says more than three. <laughs> You pluralize a word. It's not just, you could say, I, there's two. Right, types. right. Right. And I was like, that's it. And she goes, well, yeah. And I, and then I said, I can't believe I blurted it out. I said, what about abortion? And then she said, and I want you to hear me on this because this is where the creepy manipulation happens. She said, abortions against our law, right? So our law. Our law. So what do I hear? The law. The law. Right. So I hear the law. Well, that's so why I'm they like, say it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God. Abortions against the law. I didn't know if it was against the law. I was like, is she going to turn me in? Like, what if I just told her all this stuff? She has all this information on me. Oh my God. Uh, and I was so scared. And then she started showing me that book with all those like horrific abortion oh, blown up fetuses right. they have. And then she's like, well, let's talk about your pregnancy. This is you now. And then it's like a huge fetus. And then she goes, and this is you in three months. And it's literally like a picture of a six-year-old kid on a bike. And I was like, this seems creepy, right. seem creepy and judgy. And I, and I was like, I, I gotta go. I don't know. I'm, I feel confused. I'm going to, I'm going to think about it. And of course she says, take all the time you need. And then she looks down at the clipboard to remember my name, which was like, just kind of cold yeah. and felt terrible. And of course they want you to take all the time you need. Right. Right. Of course. Lie to that, you. Yeah. As they've, as they've evolved these clinics, you know, this is like back in the stone age when I was pregnant, but as they've evolved, they now have um, ultrasound machines in there. Yes. And I don't know if America knows this, but anybody can run an ultrasound machine. Right. 
and just give you a result. And it's not against the law if you don't give actual medical services. So they fool people and give condoms and pregnancy tests and not condoms, pregnancy tests. Right. And then, um, and then they call that medical services. So I was like, I walked to the door and she goes, remember Liz, your options are mommy or murder. Oh! And I was like, oh my God. And I was so scared. And, you know, the guy that I was going out with was abusive, you know, and, 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 was, and when you went to him and he was, oh, when I went to him, he yeah. reacted as every hockey player with a mullet. Right. Would do. He's like, you know, you're on your own. What the um, fuck? Aren't yeah. you on something? That's what he yeah, said. Yeah, that's what, what he said. Fuck? What the fuck? And I was like, I'm on you. I thought that would yeah. solve it. I just thought gravity might be birth control. Yeah. You know, so you're just like, it was terrible. And so I just felt so low and I felt so stupid. And I just felt like my head, you know, I was just calling myself a whore internally, right. and like, you know, making all these value judgments about myself. And, and when I got back on the bus, like oddly, there's a advertisement for a real clinic. And, um, I didn't know if it was a real clinic or right, not. Cause now, it, yeah. It said, we, it said abortions. And so I took a crapshoot and I went there and it was so interesting because when I went there, you know, they asked me questions that could have gone either way, right? They could have gone like, oh, I've answered a series of questions about myself and maybe I am ready to be a mother. But like, I knew from a a kid that I wasn't, but so they were like, what are your hopes and dreams? Um, What do you think about this? Is, Is your partner supportive? Would he be a good dad, you know, and all this stuff. And I was just like, no. And then I was just like, I, you know, and they're like, so, you know, having this talk, how do you feel? And I'm like, I feel like I want to have an abortion. And so I had my abortion and the biggest guilt I felt was not feeling guilty, was feeling right. Because truth be told, Judy, like this person was like, I was, this is a classic story, high school girl with a guy who played hockey popular, who was abusive. I rolled my self-esteem up in that. And I didn't know how to get out of that relationship. Right. But the one thing I did know is that if I had a kid, I would never get out. Right. 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 And so that's all I cared about was like, I, I can't, I can't be pregnant with this person um, because there's just too much harm involved in that. And so um, the, uh, the sort of irony in the, going around of it is I am now through a series of time and me doing abortion activism, a good friend of mine bought that clinic and I'm on the board of that clinic. Oh yeah. Isn't that cool? I feel like that gets a bell. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Were you by yourself through this whole thing? Through the whole thing. You know what? Here's the thing. It's high school, man. In a, in a, in a, in a, in an environment that, traffics in gossip, literally right. thrives in gossip. There was no one I could tell. I right. Of course tell. not. I was yeah. like, it will spread faster than my legs did on prom night. Right. You know? It's <laughs> like, no. So I went through it by myself. And then I was $30 short for my abortion. And they sent the bill to my parents' house. No way. Yes. And so my mom found out um, because she got the bill and then she called my brother. Yes. And then my brother, I don't know why she called my brother. It's like, why are you calling him? And then he paid it off for me. Um, and he was like, don't worry about mom. 
And then yeah. she made me go to these Rachel classes. And I was like, I'm not going. I'm not going. Rachel classes are like a weekend where you like throw yourself on a shame sword in front of the no. whatever. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to go to that. I'm not right. going to that. And so then she's like, well, then you could never have communion again, but you have to go talk to the priest. So I was forced to go talk to the priest about my abortion. And the priest said to me, we are all sinners in God's eyes. Um, I am not here to tell you anything other than you're a really good girl and you're going to do great in your life. And in my role as a priest, knowing what I know, because I'm a Catholic priest, I can't give you communion anymore, but I do not want you to spend any moment thinking about your salvation because of what you did. And that was pretty awesome. Oh my God. I love him. So then he goes, he's a then he goes, this is great. Then he goes, so just walk out of here and we'll tell your mom that everything we worked it out. I'll just do. Something. Oh my God. I, was that, was that father? Hansel? Father Mudry. Father Mudry. Mudry. I love yeah, you. Fa- father yeah. Mudry. So father Mudry was very cool. It turns out also father Mudry had a girlfriend for many years and left it. When he retired, he went, went off with this girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I know. Um, so you go to college, you went to university of Minnesota, you studied history. And then in 1983, uh, you're, you're, you're funny and you have a conversation with one of your girlfriends. You had seen George Carlin. You were like that. That's it. That's the kind of stuff I want. What's so funny is like, my girlfriend's like, you should try that. And I was like, I, am I allowed? Right. You know, am I, am I, because I, and I knew that there was women who were stand up comedians, right? I had seen Joan Rivers and I had seen other women comedians, but the only ones I had seen were older, were older. And they're, they, they all had like talked from a similar experience. Well, and that wasn't my experience. So I, I assumed if you were a woman comedian, that had to be your experience. Well, right. you know, that my experience, well, wasn't tapped into maybe so wasn't supposed to, but George Carlin really spoke to me because of the Catholicism and just like the bucking the system and doing it. Yeah. And so I, I just tried it, you know, they dared me and I tried it. And the first time I did it as the story of so many comics, your adrenaline kind of carries you through. Yeah. You do good. And they introduce you. It's your first time for you. And then I was like, oh, I'm really good at this. I'm yeah. Oh, I know. You think you're going to be on the Tonight Show in a week. Yeah. Right. And then the next week I did it. Um, I bombed. So like, <laughs> literally <laughs> they've made they've made documentaries about it. I think Torah, Torah, Torah was actually based on my second. Oh, God. It was well, performance. Then the third time it was marginal. It wasn't bad. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't great. great. So now yeah. I'm like, okay. Oh, I got it. So yeah. now I got to try it again. And um, you try to build these law of averages and cut to, you know, 35 years later, I'm still trying to figure out if right. I should do stand up. <laughs> and I'm addicted. So it's yeah. great. Um, yeah. You moved to New York. I mean, I remember we worked together. Uh, yeah. In New York, there was. Only one place we could work together, because as I've mentioned multiple times on the show, women were not allowed to work together. Uh -uh. They were never booked together. They were never traveling together. If there was a woman on the show, it would be one. But there was a place called Comedy U Grand, 55 Grand Street in Soho. On Thursday nights, they had the beginning of the alt comedy scene. Yeah. But they had an all women's comedy night which is where we all hung out was one yep. night a week 
Yeah. And there were other places that were started doing stand up and you could tell it wasn't like joke, 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 joke. You could actually bring a few, you know, bring these thoughts together and um, tell stories. And that's where a lot of us ended up. I mean, I worked the clubs, um, but I also never had I wasn't you were not like that either, you know. Where it was like joke, setup, joke, punchline, you know? No, and that's why, like, I never have done any of the late night shows. I never. I, I have, and I've hated every minute of it, and I don't yeah. do well because I can't no. do like, yeah. It's not how it's not my style of writing. You kind, you and I are similar in the. You buy into the idea of us, and you buy into the personality and the sort of take and the right. energy, and so. Like Jerry Seinfeld's act, like his jokes are so crafted. Right. That you could train someone to do Jerry Seinfeld's act and right. they could execute those jokes. And I right. don't mean that as a diss. I just mean that right. a perfect joke, you know, you can tell. You can recite. Yeah. Yes. You and I, it's like we're full of half thoughts and we'll be all over right. the place. And another thing. Wait, people, audience. Yeah. Wait. And, and and the audience comes for that. Right. They like the, the roller coaster. They like the where where are they going to take it? What is she going to talk about? What has got her goat? And um, to me, that's just. I don't know if it's a way of like. I just want to know where you stand. So right. putting my whole self out there is a way to just weed out the chaff, man. It's like, if right. you hate this, like, I'm sorry. Now, you know, never to come back. Right. Like, so please tell your friends also. Yeah. Like, like I don't want you here you. as much as you don't want, you want to be here. Yeah. Hey everyone. You know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity and eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality and they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto. I just did Chef's Choice. 60 or more add ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great 
delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And Factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to Factor Meals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay. Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50 to get 50% off. That's code Judy Gold 50 at factormeals.com slash Judy Gold 50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. Comedy Central, I remember when Comedy Central first started. Well, first it was the Comedy Channel. And then, and then their MTV had Ha. Ha. Remember right. there was two. Remember th- that they called all these comedians in. If you had a show, what would your show be? I remember I wore an apron. I wanted to do like a cooking, funny cooking show. But uh, of course they didn't take me. But there were all these network, new comedy network that were looking for programming. And... You moved to this building in uh, Chelsea. Yes. Where Jack uh, Kerouac. Kerouac had lived and he wrote some. He wrote stuff. on the road. He wrote on the road in this building. In this building. And yeah. he was either in my apartment or my neighbor's apartment, who will reveal who that is in a minute. And people would, this was like, again, back in the old days, people would come with like printed out from the library like they'd done research and then were pilgrimaging to be like, and they'd knock on our door and be like, can we come in? Because and Jack Kerouac wrote on the road here. And we'd be like, fuck no, get out of here. And we should have said yes and charged house. them. We yeah, should have right. charged them money, dumb. But we didn't. But the person that was my neighbor was Madeline Smithberg. And um, she was working on the Jon Stewart show on MTV. Um, and so I was working on my... Uh, one woman show, uh, which was, you know, this political thing that I was trying to get up and running and, um, I needed a job. And so I had written with John on, uh, we did a pilot together with Mike, Mike Rowe, the good Mike. Oh yeah. The good Mike Mike Rowe Rowe. from dirty jobs. Yeah. I think it's a Trumpy person. And we wrote a show that was set at the Ed Sullivan theater. It was like a, it was like a spoof variety show. Right. Uh, we wanted the host to be the guy who played Mr. Bean. What's his oh, name? Oh, I love him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember his name. But anyway, so we wrote this whole thing. And then, of course, it never saw the light of day. And then John John got a show. Uh, but then I was a segment producer on that show. I'd never been a segment producer. I literally didn't know how to type. I would write all of my comedy in notebooks. And um, in fact, I went to go buy a computer to learn. And I walked home with a two-person overstuffed chair instead. So then I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, I am really just trying right. to sabotage everything. Um, and so my boyfriend at the time worked in news and he's like, Ryan, who Ryan said, Arthur. yeah. Who said, uh, he said, uh, they spent more money on, uh, graphics than research. Yes. At the news and yeah, so- at the news. And it was all about, you know, sensationalism and, not about yeah, the he news. went to journalism yeah. school and ended up doing the OJ trial and right. like Jeffrey Dahmer's trial. And he was like, I did not sign up for this. And he would right. just grow bitter and bitter and bitter. And then, so I got this job on John Stewart. When John Stewart's show left MTV, it got syndicated 
to um, all the channels. And so right. uh, Brian would leave his job at CBS News and come and help me learn on the computer. So only thing I knew how to do on the computer was type into the program we used for the John Stewart show. Oh, that's so I hilarious. Could do the segment. I could write right. my thing. And then they're like, hey, can you do this? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> or I'd say, I'll get it to you tomorrow. And then right. Ryan would have to come over that night and then do it. And it was like, oh, that's hilarious. Show. Yeah. And so I worked on that show and then it got canceled. Shocking. And our bosses from that show became the heads of Comedy Central. Yep. And so they called Madeline and me into their offices. And they said, uh, you know, we want to launch a flagship show that responds to the world. Madeline, you know how to run a show. And Liz, you know about like political humor and the news and the world and stuff. And like, this had been like my whole dream in life. Right. Who one person shows about the media and how complicit they were and all this stuff. Like, and so I was like, oh my God. And then they were, and so I said, well, you know, one thing I think is important is that the media is a character in the show, um, meaning it should look like the news, but we are, you know, being funny as we tell the story and we expose them for who they are. Stone Phillips. By becoming them. A hundred percent. Because it was, this was back in 1995 and in like cable was just kind of right. growing. There was only one cable channel. Right. And um, there was 17 news magazines. Right. right? You know, just your your mattress, what you don't know might kill you. Right. Right. Just like creating drama. And then local news was a shit show. So so the original formatting of it was the foundational piece was making fun of local news and making fun of news magazines. And then like watching how cable news, um, that small slice of it was reacting to big stories. Well, the crazy part was when we were talking about show development, you know, and I said, I want to hire a lot of news people because they're the disgruntled and they're hilarious and they can help write the copy. So it sounds like it being delivered by a newsman. He can help write for the correspondence, blah, blah, blah. And then they go, Oh, that's a great idea. And then I, and then I just kept saying, okay. And then they said, and then they said, you know, this doesn't feel like a show that we should do a test episode for or a pilot for, you know, we should just give you a year guaranteed to grow on the air, which in showbiz never happens. That doesn't happen. It doesn't, that doesn't happen. People like it happened with the Simpsons. And I think that might be the only other show. Right. And so I was like, Oh my God. Okay. So I'd never, so they like, do you want to be the head writer? And I was like, Oh my God, I've never been the head writer. I've never done anything. So it was just a whole trial and error of two women like and it's and a, Madeline, it's a, so she had seasoned and she was great at right. producing talk shows. Um, no one had ever done this kind of show. Right. Right. So and, we were both new. And the fact that they had two women when that channel is and most yeah. most networks are notoriously yeah. male oriented. Yeah. You you decided, which was the smartest thing that. This was going to you had to have someone you the writing uh, and the performers uh, or correspondence had to really it wasn't 
you weren't going to be forced. Like you were going to be, they had to deliver it as if yes. it was that. And that's where the no stone nodding, no, no nodding to the viewer, no nodding to the camera. No, yeah. And it, which, which was also great because it gave the audience credit, which that's is right, which is what doesn't happen a lot. And it allows, it gives them that room to, oh yeah, I get it. And you, Elizabeth Winstead, first of all, you found the king, Stephen Colbert, yeah. which, and you hired him to be a correspondent, which beyond brilliance. And also I was like, oh, and they're both really Catholic. So they probably bonded on that stuff or grew up that way. Well, he still is, but yeah, but you, you created with Madeline something that has been copied. You created a genre. Did you know that people were going to actually get their news from the, like, that's what was so yeah. amazing about it was like, yeah, this is supposed to be tongue in cheek, but people are listening. Well, it was funny because having done like these one woman shows and talked about the media and like within the show, sometimes I would just like launch into a character for a bit. Like we'll be right back, Bob, or whatever, you know, right. like in, in telling jokes. Right. And the audience was very attuned to the bill of goods they had been conditioned. Served, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And then what I didn't realize was how much people were just pissed off. Cause I had never had the opportunity to access swat, you know, swarms of people. And so when we were launching and all of a sudden our tickets for the show, like getting audience tickets, like was immediately like six months in advance. It was like, oh my God. Right. People really want to see this. And also like, it was interesting because the media's response to it, like print journalism gave us a whole bunch of praise because we were shitting all over television journalism. And then television journalism's response was, oh, not that we're terrible at our jobs and we need to actually do investigative reporting and keep people smarter. They were like, oh, people want funny graphics. So then the regular media started doing some conventions of our show. And it's like, nobody wants that from you. Right. People would just assume this show didn't have to exist. Fix your shit. Right. Right. And so it was so interesting when people would get so mad at Jon Stewart if he decided to be goofy one day or decided to like... um or when he decided to leave and everyone was like, how dare John Stewart leave? What are we going to do now? La, la, la. And I'm like, why aren't you asking that of the media? Right. It's never been John Stewart's responsibility. Right. Or any, any host of the daily show or anyone on the daily show's responsibility to be the watchdog of the watchdog. And right. Yet, there we were. Right. So it, hold the media accountable. Don't hold the comedians accountable. Right. Like, what? This is all backwards. The first host was the non-misogynistic Craig Kilborn. Yeah, Craig Kilborn, who's um, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, he left. Um, and uh, then it was John. Uh, yeah. Now, of course, it's Trevor. Do you ever watch the show? Do you yeah. ever? Oh, you do. Okay, yeah, I do. I've always, um, I've always dipped in and out of it. I mean, yeah. it's like sometimes I'm so immersed in my own 
news and writing of what I'm doing that I'm like not up at 11 o'clock to watch the news. Also, I'm also writing my own comedy around the news and um, I get it out faster than 11 p.m. So, you know, you also after you left The Daily Show, uh, I don't know if people remember Air America. I I loved Air America and it was a liberal uh, radio station, which really started the career of Rachel Maddow. And Mark um, Marin and Mark Marin and uh, Sam Cedar and yep. Janine Garofalo yep. and so many. Uh, Al Franken. Al Franken. Oh wait, I didn't do any of my wait. Who else? Oh. Sam Cedar. Um, Al. I did That's Al. It. Okay. Um, <laughs> Randy Rhodes. Ping. Randy Rhodes. Yeah. Um. Sorry. And you sort of. After Air America, we're hyper focused on this abortion. That, well, also holding the media accountable. Well, I have to be clear. Let me just so I launched Air America Radio program director. I hope I have a show with Rachel Maddow and Chuck D. Right. We right. hold a show. We have a show. Rachel's um, one of her grandparents was Jewish. Go ahead. Um, so we the network was launched by a grifter who literally stole money from us, pretended he had money. It was a whole thing. He is now in jail. And then they hired someone to come in to fix the network. Mm-hmm. A guy named Danny Goldberg, Bing if, Bing if you want, but no thank you. Yeah. Danny Goldberg comes in. On the first day, he fires me and moves Rachel Maddow to five o'clock in the morning and Chuck D to the weekends and says that comedy, this is a direct quote, Comedy is not a good tool for social change. Oh my God. Fires almost tool. all. Yeah. What? Fires almost all the writers. And so I no longer have a job. And it got, he was, they were so creepy and scrambling because it was like, what? Nobody right. knew that I was being fired. Rachel was like, what is happening? Um, when people called the switchboard, they said I was in treatment for cancer. Oh, they were told my to God. Tell people that it was a fucking shit show. So that guy, where is, where is he now? I mean, he was a fancy music manager. He managed Nirvana. He managed like all these people. Like, I don't know what made anybody think he knew how to run a radio station. He didn't last there very long. Um, But yeah, it was really fucked up. So anyway, so you leave there. So I leave there and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I did a short stint on MSNBC producing a show for Maury and Connie, which was so much fun. Right. Oh, my Bing, bing. Oh, right. Maury, Maury. And um, and then I was like, what am I going to do? I had been approached by somebody to write a book for years. Like every three years, this person would rear their head. And I was like, I don't have a book in me. I don't know what that is. So finally, I was like, I think I have a book in me. I think I can tell, you know, through a series of essays sort of what it's like to come of age, have an opinion and become a comedian and how that comedy kind of evolved into sort of activism and how I made all that work. So I went back to Minnesota to write the book because I had a lot of work to do there. And I um, packed up my two dogs and drove in a van across country and lived here and, and wrote. And so when the book was coming to an end, that's when... Mike Pence was in Congress. I'll never forget. Oh, oh God. And 
He proposed on his first day in office that they defund Planned Parenthood, National Public Radio, and the park system. And I'm like, are they performing abortions on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me in Yosemite? Because I have not heard any of this. Turns out they're not. But um, then they dropped that law in Texas. And we have Wendy Davis with the sneakers and the filibusters. And I was really, really paying attention. And what I learned was in this Wendy Davis situation that we all watched, 26 other states dropped that same law. It was written by a group of extremists on a national level, and they dropped it in state legislatures. And I watched clinics closing and falling. And I was like, you know what? I had an abortion and I walked away and I had mine and I had all this privilege and I got to have this career because I got to have an abortion. And I really have done some benefits here and there, but I hadn't um, made abortion my main focus. I'd focused on like just sort of blanket everything. So I got in, I had to go back to New York when my book was finished and I piled in my dogs and I started driving around the country fundraising for Planned Parenthoods and independent clinics. And I would go visit the clinics. And they would say to me every time, thank you for coming here. No one visits us. You know, no one ever comes here. And we struggle every day and we're trying to provide care and we're trying to fight this disinformation and then trying to fight the laws. And it's like, that's too much for you. You should just provide care. And other people should be correcting the record and public speaking on it and doing it and singing your praises. So I got back to New York and I was like, you know what? I want to start, make some videos. And then that became like, I think I want to go back and visit these clinics and right. morale. So I formed this organization. It was called Lady Parts Justice League. And now it's called Abortion Access Front. We renamed it for inclusion. And because I wanted to center abortion and it's sort of like Habitats for Humanity meets uh, the USO for people doing abortion work. And so we're helping patients get access. We're helping clinics thrive. We're trying to match them up with the needs they have with their communities through going out on the road and a million other things. It's, it's, I gotta say, thank you. It's mind boggling to me. I mean, it is, and it isn't, you know, I feel like Roe v. Wade, as you've said, is based on privacy and not, I mean, the law was argued on privacy, privacy rights, not rights of women because women have never had equal rights. So, you know, here we are. Were you shocked? You know, I had read everything, but I was, you know, physically ill when I saw it. I guess I was shocked. And part of it was that I was somebody who, like so many of us, on some level took Roe for granted. Yeah. Right? And somebody who... Uh, never thought that this would be different. And then I think part of that was my naivete around how abortion policy works. And once I really started traveling around the country, and once I realized that state legislatures hold all the power and that we as Democrats and progressives and liberals and stuff had for years ignored those midterm elections and ignored our local politicians... And when I really saw how the machine played out, and then when I saw how talking to people, once I had said, you know, I really want to focus on this because it's important, talk to people who said, 
why are you doing wedge issue stuff? Why are you doing abortion stuff? Like, you know, culture issues. I'm like, um, culture issues is a pretty degrading way to talk right. about abortion or right. LGBTQ things right. or any of it. This is people's humanities and what it means. And so I was shunned by people on our side for focusing on abortion because they didn't want to. You know, there was way too many people who were more than happy to say shit like say it's legal and rare. And right now I'm not pro I'm pro choice, but no one's for abortion. And it's like, no, people are for abortion and, and like helping people unpack the language that we use so often that we don't even think. Yeah. That's like, how do we change this narrative of like, how how did they co-opt this pro-life? You know, we let them do it because we were all coming from a place of shame. Nobody ever thought that, or tried to get victories based on the fact that abortion is a moral choice, right? Ethical choice. It doesn't harm your fertility. It's, it's none of your fucking business is what it business. is. And so if we don't say it, the abor- anti-abortion movement says abortion four times more than we do the word abortion, right? They talk about abortion more than we do. And so I think that, um, when they started framing it as a morality issue and we started having to be on the defensive, it screwed us for a long time. And so I think that like when people, when you talk about abortion or when I talk about abortion and someone's like, Oh, I just have a really hard time saying abortion. I just always try to ask you like in a open way, like what, what do you think that's about? Like what are your conversations and your experience sort of talking about abortion um, what's led you to think that way? Because I was the same way. I said no right. choice and I said those things and like, you know, um, and I would do fundraisers for branches of Planned Parenthood that would say, don't mention abortion here. Oh God. Yeah. Like, um, why no, people yeah. have had abortions here. They support you right. doing abortion. Don't. And they're like, well, we have a lot of Republican donors and it's like, I- great. You know what? If they're giving money to you and voting against abortion, then they're the ones who need to hear it the most. Right. Right. And so I think that like thinking in those terms, I think that just we're doing a massive reset on the language because we will never win this, this battle for our humanity if we don't normalize, include abortion as one of the pivotal aspects to give somebody full autonomy over the way they're going to live their life. Right. We can't have caveats about it. It can't right. be. And, and oh, don't bring it up. Right. And, um, you know, and, and it may be that generationally we have to fall on the, oh, the way you talk about it. So radical sword. And that's fine. As long as we're breaking through some barriers. Right. But eventually we get to a place. And stop, yeah. Out. You've done a lot, and this is one of the things. I know we have to wrap it up because Laura just put it in the thing, but I could talk to you for another 15 hours. Um, <laughs> but I'm really upset, and you'll say, don't be upset, blah, 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 but about men. not. And you've done a lot on this front to try to get men to speak about women's rights. But yeah. I am fucking sick of not having the support of these men. Yeah. And when it's about them, like I was just, you know, and, and I'm a member of the LGBTQ, blah, blah, blah. 
And they, you know, this whole thing with, um, you know, HIV drug, the prep and all that. Yeah. Do you know the company that makes prep is called Gilead? Not even kidding. Not even kidding. Can't even write it, Judy. Can't even write it. Prep, which is what? $8 in in Australia or $6 Mm -hmm. in Australia and and $13,000 here. Prep, which I just found out before this interview, is given to women who are raped. And yet when they started fiddling now, they've just begun fiddling with HIV drugs. Now, all of a sudden, all these gay men are coming out and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not going to fiddle with our health care. It's like, hello. And I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be enraged. But I, I it's it's I. Ugh. Well, okay. it's also too like if we don't understand our intersections and our powers together and that homophobia's root is misogyny. Right. And that every root is misogyny. Transphobia's root is misogyny. You know, it's all predicated on patriarchy. patriarchy. Yeah. And so it's like, and we have started talking to guys. We did a really funny video with W. Kamal Bell. I know. I love him. Around Father's Day. Yeah. And it was, you know, and it's really like, how has birth control and abortion benefited men? Right. You know, if you're not married right now to the first person you had sex with, probably because of birth control and abortion. Right. So you're welcome. You know, how much money did you not spend on birth control and abortion? Right. I never required boyfriends ever to pay for birth control. It didn't. Right. Me. And Kamau's wife tallied up how much she spent. She spent over 10 grand. No way. Yeah. Women spend about in their lifetime. Well, as a lesbian, I have Yeah. And he spent, you know, he's like a couple hundred bucks on condoms. Some of them are still right. expired. Right. So, um, you know, when you get to make those decisions to then in turn be able to go to grad school or this wasn't the right time or all of that, or you're a, you're now finally were able to come out, but you were in a relationship with a woman who you didn't have kids with. Um, thanks birth control. You did. And, you know, like, I think right. that a lot of ways that we all are in this together, that that's one, but the number one is you cannot enjoy a status of freedom or shouldn't if other people, other people are not free. Right. That's right. That's right. It's just that simple. Also we're fun. So in our fight for our freedoms, yeah, the most fun, all of of us on our side, we have the best music, right. Food. Oh, everything. Yeah. And also if you hate us, then you don't get to eat our food or wear our clothes or listen to our music or hear our stand-up comedy or, or see our shows too bad. How dare you demand that we bring joy to you? Right. You are trying to kill our lifestyle that allows us to create the joy that right. goes to your homes. Fuck yeah. I you. love that. You motherfuckers. <laughs> now, Elizabeth, I yeah. always ask my podcast guests two questions. Yeah. Um, number one, we are pro mental health. I suffer yes. from a lot of mental health issues. Yes. Um, what do you do for your mental health? I mean, I have a therapist. Same. Um, I'm somebody who, I don't know why, I don't hang on to things. Oh, 
I, I, can, I need some of that. I know. I don't, because I don't have space for it. I, I don't, yeah. You know? And neither do you. No one does. Right? I, I kind of forget, like, I, I'll, I'll obsess and it'll be, and then I kind of forget after a while. And then I go, oh, you, there are times where I'm like, wait, I'm mad about something. And I forgot what I'm mad about. And I sit there and think, wait, what am I mad at? Why was I in a bad? Like, it's so ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And you know, something that I don't think is said enough to people is when you are hanging on, right. And, and brain space is being taken up by that. Right. If you get so frustrated at yourself or I can't find my keys, I'm looking for this. I can't that I can't retain this. Part of that is because you are holding space that is not allowing you to retain the shit that actually makes your life run smoother. Right. So that's not great. I just feel like I don't try to do too much. And I also feel like everywhere I go and the people who I'm with are always where I want to be. That's great. Right. I love that. No, no antidepressants. I don't, I'm not on any. I have a Xanax for when I need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't? I have Ativan and the Paxil and the Trazodone and all the other fucking medicines I take. Now, that's number one. Number two, the podcast is called Kill Me Now because as you know, I get pissed off about everything. Um, And then I go on stage and scream about it. So what pisses you off more than anything in the entire world? Uh, I think what makes me crazy mad is the fact that we live in a world where we honor both sidesism and where people who make no point, people who are lying, people who perpetuate shit as though it has equal value to the truth are allowed a platform all the time. And I, to me, that is what has destroyed everything about every, you name it. And that is why shit's fucked up whether it's the environment, whether it's abortion, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's guns, like I am tired of honoring crackpots with a platform where they have to talk to somebody credible because it gives credible people, it gives them credibility by letting them talk. Right, right, which is this curse of social media. Yeah, and poutine. Why are you putting gravy and cheese on French fries? French fries are perfect. They're perfect food. Stop and I don't it. want soggy French fries. I don't want no fucking wants soggy French fries. Not even sweet potato fries. They're soggy. Stop no. it. So stop poutine. And um, it's it's so disgusting. Awful. It's so disgusting. Learn to love the potato. It's perfect. Oh, it really is. I have some French fries in the refrigerator right now that I got from the diner. Liz. So fun. Okay. I love you. Thank you. Me, I'll be back in New York at the end of September. We password, have password, password, hanging out and do that. And then check out the work we're doing at abortion access front. It's aafront.org and follow us on social media at abortion front because uh, it's really good shit. Yeah. And I can't thank you enough. We need you. We need, I need you. you. I need you to say yes. And thank you for saying yes. Whenever we ask. Always, always. I care. Just say yes. Uh, yes. And help me get other people to say yes. Uh, any, you got it, baby. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to part two of Kill Me Now with Liz Winstead. Kill Me Now is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling. Everything else besides the interviews 
and the research is done with the help of Brittany Jo Sowards. If you haven't subscribed or left a review, I hate you. I hate you, hate you, hate you. Five stars only. By the way, my Lyft score, I checked it out. On Lyft, the rideshare program is a 5.0. But on Uber, I'm a 4.48. So I don't know what I did in an Uber, but it's annoying. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing the Lyft. Also, if you are near on close to Cape Cod, as I mentioned in the beginning, I am performing this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at the Post Office Cabaret in Provincetown, Massachusetts. I have upcoming shows. Also, let's look, the 22nd, I will be at the Sunshine Cathedral Center for the Performing Arts in Fort Lauderdale. What Lauderdale? Um, I know I have other dates, but I can't. I can't deal with it right now. Um, we have some great guests coming up. I am also really, 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 really upset about what's going on in this country, and uh, the fact that you know people would rather have liars and hypocrites so that they can be in power. Uh, they would rather, you know support them just so they have fucking power in the Senate so they can pass their shit bills. Uh, so vote. If you haven't registered for vote, to vote, 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 vote. Important. What else do I have to tell you? I don't know. Oh, yes, I wanted to. I, I got some responses about if I had to charge 99 cents a month, which was, you know, great. And then I had someone tell me, why don't you try Patreon, which I... I do want to do a Patreon, and I've been talking about doing a Patreon, and I've even met with Patreon. Uh, it's just I have to create more content, and I want it to be great. So um, let's see. If anyone's listening to the end right now, I love you so much. And so let me um, look at the person who was listening to the end. I've been, I've been t- um, taking pictures of your tweets and messages. Octo Jack said, I don't mind the paid podcast subscription model, as long as the entry isn't money. I don't know what that means. Uh, Perhaps start a Patreon. Okay. And then Catherine, the artist with an R. Tist. That's her name on Twitter. So Catherine, I love you. She listens to the end. She listened to my book. Catherine, you're the best. You're a great artist. And she said she'd pay 99 cents. Um, and she doesn't want me to stop doing the podcast. And I don't want to stop doing it either. But honestly, people, it costs me money. I pay to put this podcast up because I love it. But it's like ridiculous. Everyone's like, oh, that's ridiculous. Whatever. I'm thinking about it. But tell everyone about the podcast because the more people listen, then I can break even. You know what I'm saying? With the ad revenue. Yeah, that's it. I don't know what else to to tell you. Um, It's October. I really don't. I'm really upset about summer ending. I really don't like when summer ends. I realize that I love the beginning of summer and I kind of love fall and I love fall, autumn, but not. I want summer to last longer, which I know it's going to because of climate change. But I thought that it was really it was pretty quick change this this year. But we'll probably have the an Indian summer coming soon, but whatever. Thinking about everyone affected by Ian, horrible, terrible, climate change is real. We need to pass laws to protect the environment. 
but those fuckers are selfish and they won't. So take away women's rights and leave the planet in disarray for our children. So that's that's their their stuff. So that's great. And the election was stolen. That's their other fucking bullshit. So anyway, enjoy America um, and all the really dumb people. But we have a few more weeks and we'll find out where we stand in these elections. And I don't know why I'm talking like this, but I am. Anyway, um, wishing all the Jews happy, healthy, prosperous New Year. For everyone else, I want to say thank you. Thank you. I love you for listening. Listen to this chair. If you're listening to the end, this is how I'll know. If you have a favorite office chair, um, desk chair, please, please DM me or do it on Twitter or do something because I need to, I need a new chair. And I was thinking of getting a steel case. So let me know if you have a really good office chair. Um, that's it. Uh, I love you all. Thank you for listening. And as we always say, so long.